He's like, I knew I was picking up a big blue man. <laughs> is it is it fancy? No, it's not. I just want to get money. He's like, I knew I was picking up a big blue car. I didn't know I was also picking up a big blue man. And he's just—it's not that funny. It's not that funny. Anyway. So I actually lost my wallet. Well, I didn't lose it. I know where it is, but it, it's not with me anymore. I left it in a transfer to an airport. And then I like, I couldn't tell. I was at the airport and I realized I didn't, right. I didn't have my wallet and it's very early in the morning. And I was like, I've either left it at home or left it in my transfer, my cab. So mm. I was like texting, is it at home? But like, Talia wasn't home. And then later, like when I got to the airport, like someone from work called me and was like, oh, by the way, I think you left your hot, your wallet in the transfer and i was like okay not ideal but like they're like a corporate professional transfer company they're not gonna like steal my wallet and they like declared it missing that's fine and i was like i don't need a wallet right like i'm not paying for stuff on my work trip and then like i've got my phone with my cut with my cards on it and i've got my passport for id like i should be fine Mm. did my work trip all good didn't pay for anything there anyway and then i was flying to eat i couldn't have time to go and collect my wallet because i got in from venice late Tuesday night, and, mm-hmm. no, sorry, late Thursday night, and I had to fly early Friday morning. Mm-hmm. And then I was like, I don't need a wallet. I'm fine. I don't need a wallet. I was tapping here and there, like, you know, everything. And then I get into Egypt, uh, immigration, and it's very hectic. And it's like, you need to pay a fee in cash for the visa, which is like a sticker in your passport that gets stamped. Mm. And you, it's, this is like the level of uh, how ropey this thing is. You can either pay $25, 25 pounds or 25 euros mm. or Egyptian currencies. So there's like no sense of what we're converting yeah. here. What's the price? 25. Yeah. Just call it an even 25. And so I realized I'm like, I go to the guy, I'm like, hi, like I don't have any cash. And he's like, cash machine over there. And the cash machine was looked like a cash machine mm. from the 1940s. I know they probably did exist. <laughs> no. It was like the dust you could wipe from yeah. that thing. And then like it needed coal to go in there. So it was never going to be one of those digital ones where like my app gives no. me a thing. So then I realized I'm just stuck at the border trying to get into Egypt. Wow. And I'm now just like begging people for some money. I'm like, oh, I'm so sorry. Have you got- Are you on your own then? You went with family? Yeah, I was on my own because I, f- I flew late because I, I came right. from work. So I was like, hi, can I just- can I have um, $25? $25 and I promise I'll pay you back. And like three people said no, but then one guy really nicely said yes. I was like, oh, thank you. And was he, uh, you know, was he's like, English. Yeah, right. Okay, yeah. fair enough. And did yeah. you give him the money? I did, yeah. I sent how it did to you, him. How, oh, you, you just I did. also didn't, in where I went in Egypt, my data didn't immediately carry on. So I couldn't even God. like load my app to pay him then and there. I was like, I promise I'll pay you. And then I had to go in the airport, buy an overpriced SIM to get data. Wow. Guys, you need your wallet. Well, you had to you buy a wallet. SIM for your iPhone. I don't understand. Yeah, it's cheaper to buy. Instead of buying through your provider, which can be very expensive for data, you can buy a SIM card in the airport and just put that on your phone. And you have a different number? No, same number. Wow. <laughs> wow. The equations around yeah. what you said. Wow. Yeah, it's just like I just buy data. I don't buy minutes. Um, but guys, you need your wallet. That's all I'll say. Yeah, so, so I, I actually went to a place I where actually, I really just did whilst we're talking about the Well, the kindness of strangers, that's very nice. Mm. I do think about cash as society, and I do think I, you know, it's cool when it's efficient. It's like, hey, we only take cash. And sorry, just, only take cards. Just float your device. Yeah. But then I'm like, I do think it, you know, isolates older people. I'm talking, you know, people mm. over a certain age who are, you know, you've got to I, I find it more bothersome when you go to places and they're like, there's just no cash acceptance at all and i'm talking even places like a bake like gales i went to recently they're like 
card only. And I'm like, yeah, but if you're like a sweet old lady coming in with you your cash, go, you and go who, are very, who are very, very, you know, attached to their cash, which is yeah. a generational thing, which is totally fine. Yeah. They're like, no, no. And I'm like, it is also legal tender. Like, this yeah. is legal money. This it should is, still kind of be there. I think that- Just because I, th- I think it's something to do with the fact they, they there's some sort of, pe- I, I, please correct me, I'm, I have no, no knowledge of running a retail customer facing business. So, yeah. But I'm sure there's some sort of like, payment fee you have to some additional cost that is incurred by having cash on site well obviously you've got to pay yeah. someone to cash up you've got to yeah. take someone to count the cash and i do agree that obviously being card only is 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 efficient you've but... got to have the cash guy come in like the armored thing yeah yeah the armored van He's in a cash guy cash. yeah <laughs> um, but it's uh you know anyway this is not a financial podcast this no. is a film podcast trying to stop all the money laundering they've got to stop walter white's whole laundromat thing happening that's mm. what they need to stop. You do, you know, when we were in London as well, you do walk past a lot of oh, places God. in your life. I mean, that's The it. entirety of Oxford Street yeah. is a completely failed borough. It's completely failed. Oxford Street isn't a borough. In but and whatever you want to call it, like that entire... London borough of Oxford Street. Of Oxford Street. No, D- just that district, whole region is just sector, completely declined. Streets? Yeah. Streets, fine. Yeah. Um, I don't. I think we're out of our depth here. We don't know what we're talking about. <laughs> Welcome to episode ninety. Seven. George, we sold out. We did. Thank the you. Big well, we sold out the quiz. quiz. We didn't sell out morally. I mean, that <laughs> we <laughs> yeah. sold out. No, yeah, that's we coming when we do our novelty oh, album. Yeah. Give us time. It's all pulping in the kitchen. <laughs> yeah. um, thank you to everyone who bought tickets for our pub quiz that we're doing in London. Sold out within 18 hours. Yeah, I was expecting to re-promote it this episode and probably another episode. But guys, thank you so much to all of you yeah. who bought tickets. And we're really sorry that uh, we didn't do a bigger event or we couldn't have made it bigger and better but here's the thing guys yeah it's our first event so there's a lot of things we had to work out and it was it's a little bit of a exercise for us it's the first time 100 100 tickets mm. you know running it 90 tickets even running an event what we will say is I, i'm aware that a lot of our listeners are either not uk based or not even london based and mm. wanted to have it streamed and all that kind of stuff we're not streaming it just because of the practicalities of the venue but don't worry guys you know, this has opened a whole new avenue for Pop Kitchen stuff. So there'll be brighter days ahead and things will happen. So and just to reiterate, the pub quiz is not our 100th episode. Yes. That's, that's celebrate 100 yes, episodes. You're still going to get a full fat episode 100 yes. with films in it, I assume, or just us chatting we'll about see. stuff. Shh. Yeah. <laughs> and voice notes from people. We've yes. already had, please make sure you send I think we've in. had a couple, but guys, I mean, please send in your voice send notes. From your voice notes about, it's just show. a question. Just ask a question in a voice note. I've had some great ones already. Yeah. Um, so please do that. And yes, sorry guys, we're not trying to exclude you. It was just a little event, but more to come. And exciting, yes, an actual public kitchen, 100th episode. Mm. Anyway, so like last week, the roles are reversed because this week, James is the one who's tired <laughs> and a bit jet lagged. Um, and I am the one who's been out at the London Film Festival yeah. seeing things. James, I love yeah. the London Film Festival. This is not a branded opportunity. I'm right. just saying, it's I great. am enjoying that energy and seeing and joining queues of people waiting. Mm. Do you know, I mean, my showing for Killers of the Flower Moon was yeah. at eight o'clock in the morning. You sent me a picture of the queue. Yeah. Three, and a, three and a half hour movie. I got up at half five and Jesus I, and I you know, downed a cup of tea, got my little pack, pack breakfast, yeah. got there and the queue was around the block. And wow. I, was, I was not, so I was halfway through the queue by the end. How um, close was it to you not getting a, getting a seat? Everyone got a seat because they ran two concurrent screenings. I'm pretty, right. I'm pretty sure everyone got a seat, which is not the case of uh, another, on Monday I saw Maestro, which I will be reviewing next week. Um, and uh, which was at the same time of How to Have Sex, which I really wanted to see, but I had mm. to split the two and I just chose Maestro. Um, but How to Have Sex, 
was completely oversubscribed, wow. and all the spillover came into Maestro, which was a bigger screen. Because yeah, how to have sex would have had a smaller. And and so the first five minutes of Maestro was just people being sort of shepherded in, mm. um, who were probably like, "Well, I don't want to watch this." <laughs> but anyway, that's not this week. That's next week. If you want to stay tuned for that, this week I've been seeing. Killers of the Flower Moon, the Huge. big big film, one of the biggest releases of this year, Martin yeah. Scorsese's new film. And I've also seen uh, Andrew Haig's new film, All of Us Strangers, which stars Andrew Scott, Paul Meskell, Claire Foy and Jamie Bell. We talked about it on when we were looking ahead at the films that were coming out. Two very different films. Um, what I like is that Killers of the Flower Moon is out. By the time this episode comes out, I think it's, next week. Next Friday. Next Friday. Out, so within two days. Whereas All of Us Strangers comes out in January. So you've got right. an immediate release coming out and you've got a bit of a preview as well. Um, but yeah, I love the energy of the festival and coming out, everyone's chatting and you're hearing the little industry conversations mm. between people and you're like, oh, that person's a critic, that person's a screenwriter. Here are a lot of very pretentious conversations, oh, but I'm here for yeah. it. Oh, God, who, yeah. who are we to talk? So many tote bags. Oh, Just people God, looking yeah. at my New Yorker tote bag, my Cabers movie tote corduroy, bag. Oh, the, my, the bookshop tote bag's yeah. very big. Yeah. And the, way, and the way, the scruffiness with which people dress these days, James. Really? Is, uh, no, I'm just oh. kidding. <laughs> um, but it's been a really, really exciting time. And so we are happy to and, and, and excited to share uh, activity on this podcast. Mm. What a great time. I feel bad for Scorsese. Obviously, you got to hear him, hear him talk, but I feel like I've seen so many little interviews where everyone's now asking him, what do you think about the state of movies now? That's and, literally and what happened. So basically, I went to... You I, can't just go we were, anywhere. What was great about Saturday is that um, after seeing Killers of the Flower Moon, I had like a two-hour break, and then I went into uh, a live screen talk interview with Scorsese in person at the Royal Festival Hall, moderated by Edgar Wright. And um, it was really interesting. And obviously, it's that thing when Scorsese walks on stage, but like when we saw Tarantino, it's someone so iconic and so mm. you know, famous. He kind of takes your breath away and you think, there he is, you know, mm. that's our guy. Bill Marty. Um, he was, you know, he's 80 years old, but he's still really sharp and funny and sprightly. Um, he's never looked like he's winding down at all. No, no. I, I, oh, that's the thing. I mean, you know, he's, he's getting on a bit, but I was like, oh, we could eat, judging by his state of character at the moment, I was like, we could get easily get another. Like Clint Eastwood, just keep going. Yeah, another three or four films out of this guy yeah um but <laughs> like he's a product like he's <laughs> no but no, i know, no, I know. but um it, the session was really interesting i think yeah, edgar wright just sort of talked to him about like the, the state of cinema and he and kind of marty kind of pivoted and said like well as long as it's not you know content because edgar wright was like do you want as long as there's more film directors than content creators right and mm. he was like what is content i mean I, I, I don't really know what it is it's just noise it's just it's just, yeah. it's just out there i mean come on i mean uh cinema is cinema content is what i put the tv on in the background at home he, I, 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 he loves yeah. his little stumbling yeah. and he's very yeah he was very funny i mean I, one thing i will say is that the moderation could i it, the most interesting part of it was when martin scorsese talked about more recent films like and less like canonized Scorsese films like The Aviator and working with Leo, yeah. stuff which is, hasn't been t t talked about. Whereas the first half of the talk was spending a lot of time talking about Mean Streets and Taxi Driver, which, you know, great films, but a lot, of this, lo a lot has been said about those films. Mm. They are canonized. They, are, they have their place and a lot's been written about it. And, you know, Scorsese was like come, you know, saying anecdotes. And I was like, Oh wow, Trav you know, um, uh, Robert De Niro improvised the "You Talking to Me" line in Taxi yeah. Driver. I've never heard that before. Yeah. Um, not that I wanted to like generate Marty for content, but um, when mm. he talked about Leo and and the you know the Killers of the Flower Moon itself, that was when he sort of came alive for me. Um, mm. But anyway, it's a it, it's one of the big releases this year, and we're going to talk about it. Thusly. This episode is brought to you by Visit Williamsburg. 
In Williamsburg, Virginia, there's never too much of a good thing. Whether you're a foodie, a golfer, a history buff, a shopaholic, an outdoor enthusiast, or a thrill seeker, you'll find what you came for here and more. So ask yourself, what is it you want? Discover Williamsburg and plan your trip at visitwilliamsburg.com. Another day is here and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. So, Killers of the Flower Moon, the new movie by Martin Scorsese, who, as we were just talking about, is probably one of the most recognizable uh, names, uh, film director names, Mm -hmm. still working today. One of the most, definitely most accomplished directors. He is, he's he's at the top of the mountain. He is someone who is able to share critical and popular, uh, you know, love and awe Mm -hmm. and when a new Scorsese film comes out, it's like an event. Mm-hmm. Biggest talent. Absolutely, biggest, yeah. biggest thing. So, and he brings with him now The Killers of the Flower Moon, which is his first film since The Irishman. Similar to The Irishman, it is another three and a half hour epic. It is, has, a, has a budget of approximately $200 million. It's a lot of, a lot of, a lot of money. This time it is not produced by Netflix as The Irishman was. This is made by Apple, Apple Pictures, mm-hmm. Apple Original Films, um, with an unspecified as yet release date for... Uh, its release on streaming. So currently only being talked about with a cinematic yeah. release. Which they'd never just put that straight on streaming. It has to be nominated for Best Picture. No, but like when, obviously when it came to Netflix, everyone knew the date that it would arrive yeah, on right, streaming. Okay. Whereas it's been unspecified at the moment, which I yeah. think is really interesting. So, Killers of the Flower Moon. Um, let's talk about the story. Essentially, it is set in 1920s, 1930s Oklahoma, based on a true story as well. Um, in Osage County, Oklahoma, uh, to do with the um, Osage Native American tribe. And what happens, and you see, this is like the opening prologue of the film, is that the Osage Native Americans discover oil on their land. And what that leads to is a huge economic and, you know, uh, financial boom in their, you know, uh, amongst their community. Because their land is protected, it is their land, they own the rights to the land. And what you get is this really interesting um, creation, and which is so refreshing to see, and it's so like sad that it's underseen and underserved, is a affluent, um, moneyed uh, Native American people who own cars and uh, are you know, um, indulging in the uh, consumerism of the 1920s and 1930s is really refreshing. It's almost never exactly, seen or and you, so you there, and you have a working class, predominantly working class, white population who are the drivers, who are the people taking their photos, the people who bother the um, the Osage people as they you know go about their business in every day in town, right? In this context, you also have a lot of white landowners who, uh, sorry, landowners who, who are farmers and uh, etc. And into this this context comes Leonardo's DiCapri- Leonardo DiCaprio's character, Ernest Burkhart. Ernest Burkhart is a World War One veteran, a sort of uh, gummy-faced, you know, uh, pudgy, prestheticized Leonardo DiCaprio. 
He's not the sharpest man. Uh, he's not the sharpest knife in the box. And he arrives back to this booming nation, completely unrecognizing. He's, he doesn't recognize the whole area. And you know, there's, there are oil derricks for as far as the eye can see. And he's being driven to his uncle, played by Robert De Niro's uh, house. And on the way there, he says to the driver, he says, wow, who's, whose land is this? And I believe the line from the, um, the Native American driver is, it's our land, it's Osage land. He arrives uh, at his uncle's property where his brother is and his aunt, and um, he's kind of welcomed back. And Robert De Niro's character of Willie Hale, sometimes called Uncle Hale, or as he says to Leo, call me King. Motorbikes, thank you. Just motorbikes in the background. Call me King, you call me King. Um, and there's this bit of very, very early on where he sort of sits down, Robert De Niro sits uh, uh, Leonardo DiCaprio's character down and says, you know, how's the war and you know, what can you do? And what are you good at? Well, this is the thing around here. You know, there's oil and there's, there's, you know, there's the Osage people. They're, you know, they're, they're a kind people and, uh, and we're farmers. You know, we own this land and sort of lays out the rules of, of, the, of, the, of, the, of the area. In this mix, though, behind, uh, not behind closed doors, but what is happening at the same time is murders. You're having a succession of uh, Osage people, wealthy Osage uh, people being murdered and it being unresolved and uninvestigated. Within this context, Leo's character, Ernest Burkhart, meets um, Molly, a wealthy Osage family member, as they refer to in the film, full-blooded with head rights, which means um, rights to their land, the oil land. And he, they have, they develop a connection, they have a chemistry, and they begin a kind of, you know, um, they have the beginnings of a relationship. And this is very, very early on in the film. And I don't want to, I mean, it's three and a half hours. I really can't spoil it. We'd be here for ages for me yeah. to try and spoil everything. So you have this tension between this kind of uh, love at the centre of it between Molly and Ernest and this wider um, uh, increasing murders of the Osage people. And it's all, of course, contextualised to do with oil and greed and uh, people who want that oil, basically. Um, it's, the script is, it was... Uh, the production's been working on this for ages and uh, it was COVID had an effect on it originally... Um, uh, DiCaprio, the, the film was going to focus on the uh, Jesse Plemons' character and DiCaprio was going to play that, but instead they kind of shifted it and made it about Ernest. Anyway, it is a epic Western period crime drama from Martin Scorsese. It is very long, but it is very, very good. That's what I have to say. Um, first of all, when I was sat in the opening minutes of the film, I was so like, relieved and comforted by being in Martin Scorsese's presence because I was immediate, immediately reminded of his skill, uh, masterful skill it's as... It's not his first film. It's not his first film. <laughs> it, uh, his, his craft at being an excellent storyteller. His command of uh, imagery, sound, performance, dialogue to create tension and drama is you know, masterful. He is a master of his craft. He's at the top of his game for a reason. As you say, it's not his first film. And I was basically instantly enraptured in his tale and what he was weaving. Um, I think that with the story, I, I, I mean, I've given you the very bare bones of it, and, but it kind of, 
starts from that point. And I think it, it, I was just sat there five minutes and thinking, this is a really, really interesting story. This is a really gripping tale. I'm really, you've got the kind of affluent Native American class here, which we're not used to being seen on screen. You've got over here, you've got the kind of um, really ambiguous at first um, tension with the kind of white characters within the film. And it's just a really uh, interesting tale that you can that you can follow on the simple narrative plots, but kind of thematically as well. This is a film where it's about having a tinderbox of racial tension and racial resentment being lit by greed, and that is what that bore, what that bears out is violence and predominantly, actually, particularly violence against women. Um, it's really interesting and. At the centre of it, you have a trio of performances from Leonardo DiCaprio, Robert De Niro, and uh, um, Lily Gladstone. Leo, uh, sorry, all the performances, shocker, are amazing. When you're working in the hands of Scorsese, of course, they're going to be great performances. But, um, you know, Leo delivers a really great a really great performance. Ernest Burkhardt's a really interesting character because like I said, he's not, he's not super smart. He's not super slick. He's messy. He's a, he's a fool. And he's being used as a pawn, as a puppet, being sucked into Robert De Niro's gravitational pull in this. And, you know, the sort of morally questionable uh, heart of Ernest and his easily corruptible nature kind of drives a lot of this film. I think with Robert De Niro, honestly, it's one of the best Robert De Niro performances I've seen in a long, it's long quite time. Big, He's a, he is he is well. I think if he gets nominated, he'll be for best support, supporting actor because yeah. Leo would go for support, uh, main. But I think he is yeah. He's he's incredible. He is uh, uh, absolutely main character in this, and his his whole. I, I I'm just I was like oh my god, De Niro is switching it on for this. Yeah. Like he does so many films, and obviously like he sleeps into sleeps walks into some of them. But it's like he has an upper register that he saves for Martin Scorsese yeah. that he like dials up that comes out of hypersleep yeah. when Martin Scorsese hires him. And I was like, oh my God, I have not seen De Niro be this good in ages. And he is this kind of genial, smiling, but also sinister and threatening presence. And um, against that, you have Lily Gladstone as Molly, who is just, is just so wise and grounded and elegant in her position that it's a brilliant contrast to these, these men all around her. Mm. Um, I would have, I, in a way, like I, I, every scene Lily Gladstone was in, I was like, can we have more? Can we have more Lily Gladstone, please? She's just great. Um, I think that when I use that word for uh, sinister for, for De Niro, it's like that is the tone of the film. I was like, oh, this is sinister. This is threatening. There is this real uncomfortable sense of threat that grows throughout. The trailer really gives that across to yeah. awkwardness. Yes, this awkward, unkind, racial motivated, greed motivated violence that's sort of creeping in from the outside of the uh, of the frame. Um, I think what Scorsese does really well as well as the small details, which is that like the actors that he casts all have fantastic faces. I mean, craggy, worn, mm. a thousand yard stares. They look like they've been drinking moonshine for decades. Um, I mean, honestly, they, their face is so like pop-marked that they make Tommy Lee Jones look like he could do a Nivea commercial, okay? <laughs> like they, they, they are just instantly part of, this, the part of the detail. And you also have fantastic costumes and a costume design with Leo's character, with Ernest, the way his costume develops throughout is just another 
very excellent subtle narrative de- technique to advance the story and it's like looking at like a turner painting or a constable painting where you have this huge just story and rich in detail and life at the command of martin scorsese and look yes it's long but it's not indulgent it's not bloated it's not uh wasting your time this isn't damien chazelle's babylon mm. this isn't someone going i'm gonna make a three hour ten minute film a friend for of mine me. film for me yeah exactly yeah. a friend of mine said oh the arrogance of a three and a half hour film and mm. i said well first of all it's martin scorsese and um yeah. he is 80 now and i think he's earned the right with his back catalog to make a, a, a film as long as he wants but and the fact three is and a half hour movies are, are good yeah <laughs> and he absolutely uses every inch of real estate to tell this story i kid you not in the particularly in the first hour and a half so I need, I need uh, annoyingly, pretty early on, I was like, shit, I need to pee. <laughs> I, okay? And like, I, I, I'd Got done everything, you know. Out. <laughs> and um, I could not get out of my seat for over an hour and a half because there was so, every scene was essential. It yeah. was so gripping to the story. Yeah. Did you pee? I did, yeah, yeah. in my I, pants. No, 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 I, <laughs> no I, 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 I nipped out and I was as fast as I could. And yeah. I came back in and I was like, oh, something's happened. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but you know what it is? I don't think it actually affected my narrative yeah. um appreciation of the of the whole film but i still don't what i saw when i came back in i'm like i, I don't know what that was <laughs> I, I don't know where that fits in just be calm focus on the yeah. rest <laughs> um yeah and there's also a really good uh score that kind of runs throughout even in the background of the every single scene on a low volume this kind of dreading bass and uh sort of western guitar mm. it's scored by uh the late robbie robertson who was of if anyone knows the band the band bob dylan's you know spin-off guys um fantastic really really great score and that's the thing i i kind of came out of it thinking wow i've watched an excellent crime drama which scorsese does so well mm. brilliantly told brilliantly crafted yes it's long but I don't mind because it's him doing his thing. And like, I, I said it to a friend, uh, sorry, a friend said to me quite rightly, um, he said, again, not to talk about, not to dwell too much on Martin Scorsese's age, I'm gonna be like yeah. ages, but he was like, look, I don't know how many more Marty films we're gonna get. Yeah. They could be 700 hours long for all I care, yeah. I'll, I'll watch them. Um, and I was just relieved early on that for a film that is three and a half hours, it is as gripping and as mm. interesting as it is. I would happily see it again. That's what I was going to ask. I'd happily yeah. see it again because it is so detailed. And I think that what I would say to people who are, I've met you know, a couple of people who are nervous about the runtime. It is an undertaking. I totally understand. What I would say to you is just go see it. Just go see it. And just take in as much as you can. If you have to go and pee, that's fine. Just just do it. And if you get Bring kind of... Back. Yeah, just just do what you can. Go and see it because you are watching Scorsese, a master, one of the best filmmakers, as Edgar, Edgar Wright said at this talk, not one of the best, not just one of the best living filmmakers, but one of the best filmmakers probably of all time, doing, you know, doing his craft eight decades into his life. Somebody consistently commenting on Why American would you, yeah. culture and society and everything he does. Why would you not want to see that on the big screen so go and see that and then do you know what the best thing is as we've said before it's going to be on the small screen for the rest of time yeah and when it comes out on the small screen you know what you do then you watch it again and then you have your comfort break you can do half one night second half you, you know like you in football you where you have one home game one away game yeah. i mean most sports sorry <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> yeah. man who doesn't watch sport here yeah. but this you play the away game first do it on scorsese's terms go yeah. watch it at the cinema and then the second game do it on your home turf yeah. have your little comfort breaks i'm really looking forward to seeing it again because i just think it's got so much in there um 
It's brilliant. I'm I'm so glad to hear it. I am one of those people that's slightly daunted by the runtime. But like based on like having just watched The Irishman mm. and have had that exact same feeling of five minutes in, half an hour in, realizing, oh, this is incredibly well thought out. And mm. even three and three plus hours into my movie when it wrapped up, there was no sense that like thinking back to the earlier scenes that I was like, I was like, yes, that needs to be there. Yeah. And that's so perfectly made with the three hours yeah. later in mind. Um yeah, I, it, just the sense of um, experience, I'm really looking for, like, like sit, knowing you're in the experience of Martin Scorsese when he does that. Another film, a great American epic on American mm. culture. I cannot wait. All the stuff I hear about the way he deals with people on set mm. and, like, little uh, bits of behind the scenes you see where characters, the actors seem to have a very good understanding of their characters, but a lot of the tone and actual understanding of the scene happens maybe, like, a few minutes before mm. they press record. He's like, yeah, what do you think? I, yeah. I, I think it's that. I think it just seems... He, he knows how to work with actors and bring, he knows how to basically bring out the best of every single department that's involved in a film. Yeah. Um, I will say that I think what's also really interesting is that Scorsese is bringing in a lot of the themes that he's used in, not for you, sorry, touched upon throughout his entire yeah, career. I tell. So obviously you've got like the legacy of violence, the culture of violence that, um, and, and, and mob violence and mob mentality that's mm. in the Irishman, Goodfellas, etc. But you also have the... the uh, observation about faith and c- culture, which you get in uh, like Kundun and Silence. Um, it's it's and I think it's a very sensitive, um, you know, f- dimensional, multi-dimensional approach to fleshing out like the, this, you know, the, the Osage tribe and, yeah. the, and, and the Osage culture. So I know there's uh, Jesse Plemons is in there who I think is good in everything. Brendan Fraser's in there as Bre- well. Brendan's, you know, I'm going to tell you right now, Brendan Fraser's in it for about five minutes. Fine, right. Yeah. And, well, we'll talk about it when you... Uh, okay, uh, fine. So I'm seeing it, I think, Thursday, which I'm very yes. excited, which doesn't mean... So, we could, so, so next week, yeah. we're hoping to drop a spoiler discussion of it. Yeah. And, uh, there, are, yeah, there are a couple... There's one... Um, there's, there's, you know, there's a couple of cameos here and there and stuff from like, yeah. which I won't obviously spoil. There's one cameo. There's one cameo that a lot of people will talk about, but there's another cameo from somebody else. I was like, that guy, what's he doing in this film? Oh, uh, really? You're, like you're, I think you'll either cameo. know you'll either know this person or you won't. And if you know who uh, this person okay, is, you'll be like, oh, oh that's thingy, isn't it? <laughs> yeah. Oh right, yeah. yeah. Okay, cool. It's. I do feel like I'm ever so slightly. I can't wait to do it, but I feel like I'm sitting at the foot of a really big hike. I'm kind of like. Brace but, yourself, but this is what I'm saying. In. But this is what I mean. Like, it, don't worry about failing. Don't yeah. worry about needing to go to the toilet or needing to, to like even to stretch your legs. Like, it's okay because the film is going to be around. Mm. But you should absolutely go and see it on Marty's terms. Marty yeah, oh, terms. Hundred percent seeing it. So and then and then you could. That's the thing. It's like you can see it again, and I, and you will want to see it again because yeah. you will get to the end of thinking. You will. It's like when you finished a nine hundred page novel and yeah. you go, bloody hell, that was so detailed. Yeah. It is also like watching a miniseries in one sitting. Yeah, true. Binging um, a HBO special, yeah. It's brilliant. And I'm, I, it is so enlightening, sorry, so in, inspiring that um, someone can make, continue to make films as uh, as good as they are at this stage of their career. Yeah. I mean, this for me is top tier Scorsese. It's really, mm. it's in, it's in It's his, not like he, he's peaked and sort of like hovers no. around a slightly lower tier. It's if nice you look at the past, I mean, I think this stands up quite interesting next to... Uh, uh, the Irishman. Oh, and actually, I have, I've only seen Gangs of New York once, but I think probably Gangs of New York structurally and sort of thematically is the closest comparison to right, this. Okay. Um, but like, if you look at in the past 10 years, he's made Irishman, Silence, Wolf of Wall Street, Shutter Island. Like, mm. 
those are actually very different films. You've yeah. got a very stark religious epic with silence. You've got Shutter Island being a like three a three-hour bombastic horror. epic with uh, Wolf of Wall Street and but Shutter Island, a studio mm. B B movie noir yeah. inflected thing. A Hugo as well. Like the more I think about it, the more I'm like, this guy's the goat. Yeah. Anyway. Yeah. That was Killers of the Flower Moon. It's out next week. We'll be doing a spoiler discussion. Nice. I'm actually jealous you're getting to see it again. Yeah, I'm, I know. You're trying to get your even, way in even there. Yeah. the thing. I'm just like, I've never uh, seen you half said you was, When you said you were potentially interested in seeing it again, I was like, oh shit, like, he, he wants to come and see it again. It must be good because it's a long commitment in your week to but come also, and see. But also, but the pressure's off. Because I've seen it, I know where I can go and pee. <laughs> you know, <laughs> yeah, it's all true. right. Uh, well, guys, that was uh, George's thoughts on Killers of the Flower Moon. It is out, obviously by the next episode time uh, sorry by next week's episode but when you guys do get the chance to see it we would love to hear your thoughts send in your thoughts to hello at popkitchenpodcast.com and we would love to read them out on the show when you need mealtime inspiration it's worth shopping Kroger where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie and no matter what tasty choice you make you'll enjoy our everyday low prices plus extra ways to save like digital coupons worth over $600 each week you can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points more savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time Kroger fresh for everyone fuel restrictions apply it's, it's really it's a good film I can't wait like, cannot like, wait. like, you, like you, I cannot this is the thing like, you, this is the thing like, you, people, people are nervous about the run times like relax yeah. it's a good film yeah. you, you're going to enjoy yourself what, what is it is it just like the time after work in a midweek to go see it or like it's locking out our, the weekend in our very frantic busy world and life three and a half hours does not, does not slot into a, a time period very easily that's no. also bordering on a medium length flight yeah. So like, I, I, it's I, like I'll need a meal soon. If you said like, yeah, yeah, <laughs> like exactly. Need, That's I'll, between basic, meals. Like life sustenance needs to occur at some point. Like three, three and a half hours is as long as they get. Really, like four. Uh, it's the push. longest film I've seen in the cinema. Yeah, I'm trying to I'm trying think. think. Give me another film I would have seen that's three and a half hours. Of the King. Is that Probably. three and a half? three and a half I think it's 315 320 even the hateful eight had an intermission yeah also I did. saw this can I say in the second row it was because it was absolutely map packed so I had to uh, see it wow. like yeah. still great yeah so the next film I want to talk about and the next film I saw was All of Us Strangers which is a new film from Andrew Haig now I am aware that people will have probably not seen Andrew Haig's previous work will not if they hadn't listened to our previous episode about this film when we mentioned it probably not know what this film is it's not out till January. So let me tell you again um, what it is and why I think it's important. Well, what I think is important is, first of all, actually, because I really like Andrew Haig as a director. Mm-hmm. And Andrew Haig has made some really interesting films. He only, he's only sort of been working in the past decade. Um, particularly the films I really like of his are Weekend and 45 Years, right? right. And this is, this is relevant to, to when we talk about all, about all of us strangers. So Weekend, which came out in 2011, it was like a very... Is, is now regarded as quite a seminal landmark film that uh, in, in representing a modern gay relationship. And it's incredibly intimate and, and emotionally intelligent. And uh, people from across the spectrum, from Lena Dunham to Brett Easton Ellis, have written about how significant and important Weekend was as a film. Um, and then he followed it with 45 Years, which I think is just a, a brilliant 
film, only 90 minutes long, uh, probably up there in like one of my favorites because mm. it's so interesting. It's the one I've told you before about the older couple and discovering something in their past. Please go out and see both of those films. Um, he then made another film called Lean on P. He then did a, a, a TV series called The North Water. And now he's back with this film called All of Us Strangers, which returns him much more to the territory of Weekend, um, but with a much stranger kind of spin on it. So if anyone's seen the poster or read anything around this, they will know that All of Us Strangers stars Andrew Scott in the lead, as well as Paul Meskell and Claire Foy and Jamie Bell. And that is it. And great I can, a great cast. And I can tell you right now that those are the only four actors put up pretty much in these wow. films. Right? Okay. It is it is a four-hander. Yeah. But not in a play way, don't worry. And as people could probably tell from the kind of the poster and the description of it, it is a film in which uh, uh, a kind of uh, uh, romantic kind of, uh, you know, tease between Meskel and Scott. Um Anyway, here's the setup. So Andrew Scott is living in a tower block in East London, a newly built tower block. And he is sad and he is lonely. And there's barely anyone else who's moved into this block. And and we see on the fir- one of the first uh, nights, there's a fire alarm and he walks outside and like no one else in the building has come out because he's, he's, there's basically only just him in the building. And Andrew Scott, he, Andrew Scott looks up and he sees Paul Meskell in one of the windows looking down at him. And it's the only other room in the building that's occupied. Um, they have a kind of brief conversation that's kind of flirtatious, a little bit awkward, a little bit mysterious. Um, and it's very clear that Andrew Scott, who is, who is shy, quiet, sad, is not quite ready or... Uh, open at that point to engage with uh, Paul Meskell. We ver- see very quickly that um, Andrew Scott is a screenwriter and he is writing about, uh, we see him write, exterior, suburban house, 1987. And uh, we then see him look at a photo of the house from the 1980s. And it's clear this is from based on sort of biographical experience. He's clearly trying to write about his own past life. And this is where the film takes a really interesting turn, which I think other people didn't expect, where they thought it would just be a, like a romantic drama between Paul Meskell and Andrew Scott. What it is, is a... Online, it's described as a romantic fantasy film or a, uh, I would say, a sort of haunted, beautiful ghost story in a way, right? Because Andrew Scott gets on a train and he goes to the village where he grows up and he sees the house where he used to live and he matches the photo to it. And when he he sort of hangs around in the area and he goes to the park, and when he's in the park, he looks up and he sees Jamie Bell stood there with the moustache and with his polos tucked into his jeans. And Jamie Bell sort of gestures to him to come over. And he follows Jamie Bell at sort of a distance and uh, Jamie Bell picks some stuff up from the from the shop and Andrew Scott's sort of looking at him, bemused. And we, we, you know, as an audience as well, are kind of thinking, what is, what's, what's happening with this interaction? And I will say at this point, by the way, this, is, this isn't a spoiler. This is, the, this is the basic premise of the film. But if you absolutely want to know nothing about the film, stop listening. This isn't a spoiler. This is, this is the premise of the film. But I'm just, I'm just aware that when I saw it, I, I knew nothing about it. Mm-hmm. Anyway, Jamie Bell says, are you coming then? And Andrew Scott says, where? He says, well, home. And they walk to the house and... Claire Foy opens the door and Jamie Bell says, look who I found wandering in the park. And Jamie Bell and Claire Foy are Andrew Scott's parents, exactly as they were in the 1980s. And we quickly learn that Jamie, um, that uh, Andrew Scott's parents are no longer around. And this is exactly as they were in the 1980s. And Andrew Scott... Whoa, sort of, I really didn't know that. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> and Andrew Scott sort of 
talks to them and they and what i what i love is that um andrew haig doesn't insist upon this upon this conceit so much that it is you know it's kind of left kind of ambiguous but it's you know are they he's andrew scott's a writer so is it a fictional you know part of his imagination is it are, are they ghosts it doesn't it doesn't matter that's not relevant to the to the story they are just he's able he's present with his his parents on that stage and i think i think it's pretty clear that as as he is a writer it's kind of coming from that side of him yeah. and so what you have is then kind of two twin intertwining stories of his interaction with paul meskel in uh, in his building block and also his he, he repeatedly goes back to visit his childhood home where he sees his parents as they were in the 1980s and um What's crucial to this film is that Andrew Scott is gay. Uh, and it, like I said, it touches on much of the things from, from Weekend. But a lot of the film is about gay identity. But what it is also really about is about grief and loss and male loneliness and isolation and um, uh, nostalgia as well. Um, so that's the kind of setup. You've got these two twin stories uh, intertwining. And, and like I said, it's not ever this conceit is never kind of Hollywood-defied or kind of insisted upon. It's just kind of that's the way it plays out. I hope I've described this well. I'm sorry, I've just come off the back yeah. of doing that Killers of the Flamming description. So, yeah, um, James, All of Us Strangers is probably one of the most profoundly sad and beautiful films I think I've seen maybe ever. Wow. Like, it is absolutely devastating, really? but absolutely beautiful. Um it like I had a text from a friend going in who said, "Oh yeah, I've heard it's very sad," and I was like, oh, "Well, it looks kind of like melancholy." And then like the opening frames and the opening music starts, and you go <sighs> like that again. <laughs> um, so, what I first of all, what I was really surprised about, intrigued about, is is how it has that um, central conceit at its heart, mm. that kind of strange heart, which I thought made it really interesting. Um, and this story is really interesting. The way that um, what's interesting is that Andrew Scott's character Adam is that we're realizing how much of his identity as a gay man has been sort of uh, affected and trapped by what happened in the 1980s and you know conversations that he wasn't able to have uh in, has clearly informed who he is now i'm trying to really tread lightly around mm. the scene of the the scenes of the film because it one of the brilliant things about it is it is so emotionally delicate and intimate and well put together that you just don't, I, I, I wouldn't want to intrude and put my mucky fingers over it by trying to describe it. It's a bit like when we talked about past lives, when we, you know, we didn't want to, you didn't want to sneeze near it, you said, yeah. you didn't want to knock it over. And that's how I kind of feel about this film. I'm, I'm describing this very strange film, but in a way I, I, I really shouldn't. You should go and see it yourself and let it work out because the more I describe it, the weirder it sounds. And actually it doesn't matter because mm. Haig is able to, you know, weave the tale in such a way that it that doesn't matter. That first beat you mentioned, I was like, oh, that's not at all. I didn't know anything about it either. Yeah. But I really didn't think it was one of those. It's films, a stranger. But... It's stranger yeah. than you you yeah. think. Actually, it has this kind of weird supernatural, but but like it's not that. It's 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 in a bit in a way. It's been like forty five years, but it's just about being haunted by the past, mm. and there's nothing. Uh, you know, horrific about it, but it, it just kind of, it's more like being emotionally haunted and ever so slightly leaning into sort of like visual language that that, that echoes that, but never really overstating it. Um, as with all of his other films, Andrew Haig has shown that he is a director that understands intimacy, that understands characters, that never in, insists or imposes himself in, the, in, in his films. He just lets what happens, happens. And what you get is a, a, a film that just emotionally rings so true um, and is so powerful. I mean, for me, one thing I found really quite a, a really uncanny thing is that 
it, um, Adam, Adam, Andrew Scott's character is, his situation is exactly like someone I know. And I was almost having double vision at times, wow. seeing the two together. And I thought, oh my God, this just reminds me of my, my friend. Um, let's just talk about the performances. So, well, you said great cast. And I said, those I are see the, that film just on the just cast. Just on the cast. And I, 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 the joy of this film is just seeing that cast work so well. Jamie Bell is an actor I've mentioned before who every time I see him in something, I'm always like, yes, you are. I, like, I love seeing Another you one, more. because Because you are good. Yeah. And like, I love that you are... What, what the, the, the starting pistol that you fired with Billy Elliot all those mm. years ago continues to be added to with all these great roles and all yeah. these great performances. You have Claire Foy, who we, we always love, who's yeah. just unbeatable. Yeah. Just a fantastic... Fantastic actor. Like first man to women talking, crown. Yeah, doing doing goes. brilliant things in this. And Paul Meskel, again, is like it's Paul Meskel. It's, it's, it's a bit of a meme how much we 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 fantasize over Paul Meskel. Well the thing is he, you know, he is he is the guy at the moment. And like it kind of reminds me where like Timothy Chalamet was like five years ago. And I was at that point yeah. with Timothy Chalamet where every role I would see him in, I would go in expecting to be like, okay, but is he gonna be good in this one? Yeah. And every time I'd be like, oh damn, he is actually quite good. <laughs> And with this, Paul Meskel, again, proves that he's just such an, uh, a, a brilliant, like, screen presence. Mm -hmm. I will say that after watching this film, I would like Paul Meskel to go and do a light comedy. I, I really like I, to see, Well, yeah. it, it, this is another... Uh, well, you've got Swords and Sandals, Gladiator. How do you feel yes, about that? Yes, that's good, but yeah. that's going to be quite intense. Well, this, this film is adds to the... Um, uh, canon of films which is paul meskel emotionally intense soft boy uh yeah emotionally intense vulnerable open wound kind of guy yeah. but the presence of paul meskel is funny as well because it like thematically this film does i think lean uh interestingly with after sun yeah. which is another film about someone trying to reconnect with their parent mm. um starring paul meskel yeah. um from uh you know speaking across the void um and I think the two, you know, that's that's a compliment to both After Sun and and all of us strangers. But Andrew Scott, yeah, I mean, unbelievable. I I like I think about him now. I wanted to hold him in my arms. I wanted to hug him and look after him. He was so delicate and bruised and brilliant. And I realized watching it that we've never seen an Andrew Scott lead performance. I mean, I don't think yeah. I have. You oh, think Andrew Scott? He's probably done a lot on the of stage, course, doing of Shakespeare and whatnot. But, but no. you say Andrew Scott to most people, they think either Moriarty or Fleabag. Yes, right. And especially internationally, he's only really known for those kind of things yeah. as well, or, or you know, as supporting roles and stuff. Yeah. But in this, uh, he's just formidable. I mean, really, really brilliant. And like, this is film is is a small film, and it's not the kind of film that would ever get uh, a lead actor nomination. Well, you said, but After Sun did, mm. but. I would, I would love it if he got nominated for this. Yeah. It's, it's just so, oh my God, like some of it is, it's so hard to talk about because it's mm. so moving. And the sort of emotional beats this film treads are so well done that, I mean, honestly, James, there is, there is one scene that just wiped the audience out. Really? You could just hear sniffles all around wow. you and i'm watching it and i'm like okay okay and i'm just, and then i'm like oh no there is we it go it's an early morning one yeah yeah you're just like starting your day already like oh. i've got tears streaming down the yeah. side of my face and you can hear people around you also having the same reaction it was so powerful um it's a really really brilliant beautiful film that's like yeah deeply profound i think that I will understand if some people, 
if if people have difficult uh, not difficulty have a sort of a limit or reservation with this film it will be in that central conceit i think the film works with that conceit perfectly well <clears throat> i think there's some people who might might chafe at it a little bit but i think it works perfectly fine you know there's a very hollywood version of this film that could have been made and i think yeah. i think it works really nicely with it um it is also a film about uh, ultimately the film is about love actually that's the thing. i said those themes earlier but like ultimately the film isn't it, it, absolutely about love and it is also a film though in which the power of love the song is played about three times as well and i'm <laughs> Just like in case yep got it <laughs> pretty powerful uh, i look forward to talking to everyone when the film comes out in January about it, um, I can just say like, to please go watch it and absolutely go and watch Andrew Haig's previous films. It's mm. a real, uh, it was lovely. Just hearing you describe it as like deeply and profoundly sad gets, it, it weirdly excites me as a film lover yeah. because I think I look to be confronted you know with the extremes of emotion. Yeah. And I had a very interesting conversation just this week with my oldest sister actually about horror films. Yeah. And we were just like scrolling through streaming services and she was like, I don't like horror films. And I was like, it's okay. We don't. She's like, no, no, I really don't want to watch a horror film. And I was like, okay, we won't watch one. But like, why are you having such a reaction no. to it? She was like, I just don't like it. I don't get it. Why would you want to watch a horror film? And I was like, it's my well, girlfriend's attitude. Yeah. She's like, really, really doesn't like it. And I was like, I kept pushing to unpack it. I was like, I understand they're scary. But that's the point. It's meant to challenge you. It's meant to present you with an idea that makes mm. you uncomfortable. All the reasons like we, yeah. I think we get excited by good horror concept. Yeah. And um. Yeah, it's the same thing where I'm like, yeah, even though you're saying it's desperately sure. sad yeah. to the point of tears, I'm like, great. But you know give what? Give me something. Yeah, give it to absolutely me. Absolutely great. Let I, me feel something I, was watching I probably this. can't feel without that film. Yeah. I was like, oh, I think I really like heartbreaking films. <laughs> I really like films yeah. that grab your heart and go, you like this? Huh? Yeah. You like it? Um, I, 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 and like, that's what I want from a film. I, I love being yeah. moved emo and emotionally. Totally, yeah. If a film makes you laugh your ass off, yeah. if it makes you scared out of your wits, if it makes you cry your eyes out, fantastic. Extremes of human behavior. It's, it's why we're Job there. well done. Yeah. Like I, I really got affected by normal people at the end of most episodes. Oh, God, yeah. I just, the way the score rose and those, the, the desperate state those two people were in, it just, yeah, I had to like, cool my girlfriend at the end of each one and just yeah. be like jesus christ a picnic compared to all of us strangers. really do you well think? I, I don't want to overstate it because i don't want people to sort of emotionally steal themselves yeah sure, for sure when sure. they go into this like there's there's some you know there's there's funny and witty lines in this as well yeah. it's just it's just um bring tissues really beautiful really Amazing. beautiful well guys so, obviously this film as george said it's not out until january but if you know you do get the chance to see it at the film festival or what i'll probably do is we will put this uh, we will repost this review uh, closer to the time yep. that it comes out in cinemas. But as always, we would love to hear your thoughts. Send them into hello at popkitchenpodcast.com. Or just tell us the saddest film you've ever seen. Oh Let's get God, sad yeah. in emails. Tell us some of this, or the film, maybe not the saddest, the film that affected you the most and gave you such a really strong reaction that maybe you didn't expect. I think it'd be quite interesting and sad to hear about some of the sirens' yeah. saddest encounters with films. Sad sirens. Sad. George, should we go through some of the emails that we get sent every single week by our loving fans? If you wanted to send in an email to the show to send in your thoughts, your questions, your concerns, you can do by emailing hello at podkitchenpodcast.com. Just like Mark did. Mark writes into the show and says, Hi, my lady and I, shout out to her as she just turned 30. Happy birthday. Congratulations. Uh, we're eager to hear your thoughts on Triangle of Sadness as we watch both, both past lives and Scrapper off the backs of your recommendations. Oh. I know you guys have touched on Harris's upward trajectory since then, but I couldn't find any of your episodes where you spoke at length or in detail about Triangle of Sadness, That's Harris which is a favourite of mine and my ladies. Thanks for the great episodes. Us, uh, uh, thanks for the great episodes giving us a great listen while we work. We discovered you guys after getting sent the clip of you 
you two doing the newscaster voices. Ha! Best mark. <laughs> um, yes, I did review Triangle of Sadness. I don't know why that um, has got lost. Here's what I thought about Triangle of Sadness briefly. I thought I loved the opening. And I thought it had some really interesting ideas. And then the middle I found a little bit okay. And the end I found very much unraveled and lost. But it, it finished with a really great punchline. I, I longed for more of the opening sentiment. But it felt like three different ideas spliced into one movie. And it kind of lost me. So we reviewed uh, Triangle of Sanders about a year ago. And I can tell you right now, it was in episode... Go on. So I've just done a quick... <laughs> I mean, an extensive, extensive look through our back catalog. And look, guys, in the, in the you know, formation... Apologise for the old SEO. Over the past two years, you know, we try different things. And the way... figure out how to catalogue this the stuff. The way we have titled and described and, and captured and processed episodes has completely changed. But if you want to see our Triangle of Sadness review, it, you will find it in episode 54, which is titled... Does Avatar 2009 hold up? And you can guess we also talked about whether or not Avatar 2009 hold up. Oh, my goodness. Sorry about that. Yeah, we should um, go back and title them and release them. But yes, sorry, Mark. We, I did give it a review. Please, please feel free to go back and listen to that. Do you think you'll get around to Triangle of Sadness or are you not that fussed? Uh, I don't think I'm that fussed because I've heard it so-so. Also, no offence, your mm. review, I thought, didn't your review didn't give anything away, but the way you talked about it, I guessed exactly yeah. what was going to happen. Right. And yeah. then I saw a clip of that on the at the BAFTA and I was like, there it goes, confirms it for me. Yeah. And so I'm not that bothered. No. Yeah, that's the third film in the film. Yes, and I'm also it's like... deep into that part, <sighs> you're like, what's going, what is happening now? If I'm going to see a Ruben Ostland film, I need to see Force Majeure because yeah. I've seen The Square, which I thought I found really tiring. But uh, He's a bit of a Marmite filmmaker, I found. I'm going to yeah. ask people about him. This next email is from Declan, who says, Dear James and George, George and James, and all the glorious sirens. By the way, James, I had a little think. I hope you don't mind. Mm. And I do think it might actually have to be George and James, purely oh, following the Anton Deck rule of left to right. Because when you look at us, it's left to, to right. Mm. Um, and I thought, therefore, it typically should be George and James. Is that true of other duos? Is that like a... Just saying. I've yeah. just thought maybe it's... You know they never stand deck and ant. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. And when people look at us on screen, we are George to James, left mm. to right, mm. if you're reading it. It's a war. In a it's Western war. Way. Are people like are very diplomatically like offering both now. I appreciate that. I yeah. need to recognise. Uh, this past Sunday, I saw a re-release of Hocus Pocus in mm. cinema. That's random. I'd never seen the film before, but it was absolutely wonderful. I loved the screening I was in, as it was with people who love everything spooky. Someone even dressed up someone even dressing up as the core trio for the film. It felt like a true celebration um, for a film I was yet to enter. That's great. Can I just say, when last week someone asked us, what are some of your favourite films that aren't considered like the best films of all time? I'd go like Hocus Pocus is like a childhood favourite of mine. All right, fair. Because it's like um, really like junior Disney Channel horror. Mm. But it's very like... Uh, and then I saw it in a TikTok montage of autumn captured on film oh yeah and it had like harry met sally yeah. and i don't know whatever else and then there was a clip from hocus pocus and i was like god that is really like yeah, classic um a salem autumn yeah we done really well uh the film itself was such a greatly instantly iconic picture that i just so wish was embedded that that i so wish was embedded in childhood nostalgia because mm. i know i'd love it so much more had that been the case it's got a greatly funny and groovy script and vibrant
different slash bold choices in the visuals. I love fantastic stories like fantastical stories like this, but was only disconnected by its age. But I know because I've seen it in such a beautiful environment, I loved it so much more. My question is, what films do you wish you experienced for the first time in the cinema? We have had we that did question before. That quite recently. Uh, I know one for me would be Pixar's Soul from 2020 that was released on Disney Plus due to COVID, but mm. I would have loved to have seen myself looking around at a screening for all of us crying at that movie. Yeah, it's all right. Um, so that's me saying that about Soul. All the best and thanks for such brilliance. Declan, thank you very much. And he says, written from my quill by the fireplace, Plymouth, 1640. Yeah, we answered that recently and I think a couple of episodes back. So do check that uh, out. Um, I would say that actually he makes a good point that I would, I guess I would like to have seen all of the films that came out during COVID. Yeah. In, actually in the cinema. In like the dark room, yeah. Sound of Metal, I'm sure I would have enjoyed more in the cinema. Um and and then we also wouldn't have missed out on all those random films that are like blind spots because of the yeah, like Coda yeah. that won best picture that needed Coda. to seen. I know. <laughs> I, I will also say that um Sarah Jessica Parker is in Hocus Pocus. She's got like maybe seven lines and she's really funny in every right. single thing that she says. And about, also, also Hocus Pocus 2, don't forget, came out oh, last I year. That was absolutely terrible. Of course it was, yeah. just straight onto <laughs> yeah. the Disney Plus. Also, they're the, making the third one. The uh sorry, the main guy who plays the lead in Hocus Pocus, so I think in the film is 16. Um when I was a kid, that teenager looked like the most grown up everything sorted well adjusted person and I still in my mind's eye picture him as this like older than me big brother but when I watched that film in my 20s I was like that is a child (laughs) that is a young boy uh, pretending to be something that is so disappointing this next one is from Kyle who writes in and says evening James and George brackets George and James the rebellion continues Uh, long time listener from Atlanta second time writing in I was the email from a year ago he was curious about why don't worry darling was so hated for being too reminiscent of similar films before it went to me it just felt like another this world is not what you think it is film to join the ranks of others anyway wanted to say thanks for reading my email and talking about it in depth in the pod it was great to hear Yarl's takes on it Anyway, the question I'm writing to you today is about odd film connections you stumble upon. Recently, I had a friend reach out to me to send him a list of movies I think will broaden his taste past the mainstream movies he's seen before. Um, yeah, I, uh, I noticed a lot of people create like long lists on their notes app on their phone. Or what? Yeah, Letterboxd. As well. and there's that too and they're sort of like in groups will be like oh let me people like compare their long lists and they swap lists over and it creates this longer longer list oh, I see really? lots of people do that and I'm like I'm a big fan of that or they could just download Letterboxd well I would like about Letterboxd is that it's visual you can see the posters yeah so it's like yeah, oh yeah. what movie is that One of the ones I sent to him was 2020's Kid Detective, directed by Evan Morgan. If you hadn't seen it, it's a really fun modern spin-off on the normal noir genre starring Adam Brody as a private detective tracking down the decade-old death of a young girl in a small hometown, which ends up leading to a rather dark closing. Now, even though the film is only available for digital purchase, and that purchase price is 20 US dollars, my friend decided to go for it. He ended up loving it and was texting me his review. The interesting part is that he had also finished season one of HBO's True Detective, brackets 2014, the same night and was shocked at the parallels between the two other than the names he ended up texting me this and then he goes spoilers for both true detective season one and kid detective well no i don't want i don't want to hear so this i'm gonna hold on that just in case people the, because the kid detective one i've just looked it up it says one of the darkest comedies of the year yeah it was it came out during covid so no one was so this looks great i love from the OC. okay so i'll just move on to the last part of his email um 
Virtually unending, but in my friend's case, it allowed him to gain a deeper understanding of appreciation of them both. So to all this I say, my question is, are there any two projects, TV, movie, theater, short, etc., that have premiered at very different periods of time that you guys have randomly watched near each other that ended up giving you that exact same level of understanding my friend had? And if so, what are they? Thanks again, fellas. Congrats on Ep 100 and can't wait for Ep 1000. Please do me a live pop quiz show in America sometime because I'm usually driving when listening to your podcast and I cannot keep pausing the episode during the games when James says, go, and timing myself to see if I can win too. It just seems a little unsafe, Kyle. Kyle, stay safe out there. George, Think of it like the weakest link. Watch George play, hmm. you know, or equivalent. <laughs> Jeopardy. Um, I don't have... That's a very specific request. Um, what, you've randomly watched two films two projects near each other. That they, premiered they, at different periods of time that you watched near each other that ended up giving you the same level of understanding my friend had. So you, so you watch two f- films back to back, two completely different films, random films from different eras, and then you go, wow, those are actually like really similar, would make a good double bill. I only just realised that um, all of... Um, Alex Garland's work mm-hmm. are like love letters to Tarkovsky. Right. Because I'm about to watch Solaris at some right. point, and uh, I realized that Stalker is basically Annihilation. Oh, like yeah, massively yeah. so. I had a real, like, I, I audibly went, oh! <laughs> and I was like, what? And I was like, don't worry. <laughs> but I really realized it, oh, and I was like, okay. look, I was like, oh my God, Alex Garland's just like obsessed with Tarkovsky. But I, was not, I didn't watch them similarly, I just had that epiphany, like, to myself. Sounds really uh, in, inside baseball if you don't know what I'm talking about. Well, actually, you know what I had is that uh, I think I talked about this one at, at Christmas last year where I just bizarrely, accidentally ended up watching about three or four different films <clears throat> about a plucky British outsider underdog who's outside of the establishment who ends up taking on the establishment in a sort of dramatic, comedic way that produces results that are then turned into a biographical film that you're then watching, right. that which was The Lost King, which is about the Richard III in the car park yeah. and the woman who strove to, to discover that. Yeah. Uh, Phantom of the Open with uh, Mark Rylance, where he's mm. like an amateur golfer and get, tries to get into the PGA. And then the other one was The Duke with Jim Broadbent about this like Yorkshire guy who steals a yes. painting. Um, uh, I, we just sort of watched them just accidentally, near, like within the space of two days of each other. And we were like, can we stop... We've just watched them. And like Sally yeah. Hawkins is in two of them. Yeah. Like she's, Steve Coogan's so Baby Cow Productions produces two of them. And we're just like, can we do yeah. like, what? Anyway. This next one is from friend of the show, Cameron, who says, hi, George and James. James and George, very diplomatic there. Hope you're both swell. I have to say, I'm very excited about the 100th episode. Hopefully I can nab a ticket in time if work grant the day off. I hope you got your ticket. Yes, I hope you did, Cameron. I hope you didn't Sorry, wait, they sold Cameron. like hotcakes. I managed to watch The Creator over the weekend. And for a film, I'll check out my review from last yes, week. Uh, and for a film I was cautiously looking forward to, I was really taken aback and surprised at how much I enjoyed the ride. Going into the screening, I'd heard a few rumblings about the plot seemingly lacking compared to the rest of the film's elements. And ultimately, I do have to agree with James about noticeable removal of some scenes. I do think this harms the believability of some of the main characters' relationships shown. Also, the interjecting flashback scenes that kind of quickly flashed of scenes that were just shown minutes prior didn't really aid this. I do understand the reasoning behind the cuts, though, as the pace of the film is really consistent. I really do think the merits of this are in originality in the visuals. The world building and the inventions are just so exceptional and I would fully embrace this over a slow-paced quicksand of sci-fi like Avatar. 
I actually look forward to rewatching this and just revisiting the world. My last two minimal gripes are to do with the importance of the Death Star weapon, Nomad, and the fact that it basically could have been a drone strike, but it did, but it does look awesome. So who really cares? And then you mentioned sorry. And then you mentioned a thing that's slightly spory, so I'm just going to skip it. But Cameron, I do kind of agree with you, but I didn't notice that on my way in. And then he goes on to talk about Star Wars. Cameron goes on to say, I also just want to add that Revenge of the Sith is slept on and separated from Phantom Menace and Attack of the Clones is a really great film. And I have to say, don't judge me, my favourite Star Wars. We've had a lot of that recently. Yeah, I... Um, These Re Revenge of the Sith and Monsters University lovers. <laughs> yeah. I, Revenge of the Sith is better than the other two. I, I wouldn't go as far as to say it's my favourite Star Wars project. But it's the best one of the prequels. Yes, yes. Anakin's fall to the dark side, despite his mistreatment, despite his grief, despite the grooming, all come down to a split-second mistake is increasingly devastating with every watch. The references to the fallen angel painting by Alexandra Cabanel are perfect, and Vader in his prime before the suit will forever be enjoyable. That is my two cents. I have to say, however, that even though I am a Gen Z, I do not understand this Monsters University hype, like at all. <laughs> what is it about? No way near the classic of the original. Honorable mention, though, to Monster... Uh, honorable, honorable mention, though, to Lilo and Stitch. I don't think it's received any airtime yet, but it was one of my favourites, and I'm interested to know if it's generational. I think it is. I've not seen Lilo and Stitch. Have you seen Lilo I saw and it. Stitch? Oh, oh sorry, the cinema. All right. <laughs> yeah. yeah. And they're making a live-action remake of it. Stop. Wait, what? Yeah, they're making a live-action <laughs> run of it. They got, the guy who's doing it is the guy who did, I want to say, it's the guy who did Marcel, the show with, sh the the show with shoes on. Yeah, okay. Um, all right, I take think, all back. I think it's him. Yeah. Okay. Um, yeah. Lilo. Do you remember? <laughs> <laughs> I, I I never really Lord. yeah like I can picture it. But <laughs> um, so it was set in Hawaii. The problem, the problem with you and they had to reshoot the whole second the, the whole climax of it. They had to redesign because it was basically about a plane flying through a city it's a skyscraper and oh it was designed in two thousand and one. And then obviously what happened uh. happened. And they made it a plane flying through the mountains. Well, there you go. There's some love for Lilo and Stitch on the show. Um, Lilo. Sorry. <laughs> I'll also say that just quickly on the fall of Anakin Skywalker, like on on paper between the dialogue, I agree with you. Yeah. But when Anakin <laughs> kills Mace, Mace Windu, Windu and he's like, what, what have I done? done? I'm like, really? Yeah. And also the reveal of Palpatine being a Sith was the lamest thing. It's like, yeah. wait, you're the Sith Lord they've been looking for. It's like, couldn't that be cooler? Yeah. I also think the whole confrontation when Mace Windu turns up with Kit Fisto and the other feels two. weird and it's awkward. awfully filmed fight scene. That should be a that really should be cool the coolest scene. thing. Palpatine, but it, and it was in a tiny does, little, yeah. little cabin, like, and he does like a weird pirouette and he show me the emperor in his the, prime. And one of them like turns their back and just sort of gets stabbed. Oh, it's just terrible. You brought like four members of the Jedi Council and the Jedi Council's badasses as well. And again, I think I said this before on the podcast, but I always thought that the way the emperor looked that way because he was so in touch with the dark side of the force that it corrupted him to such an extent yeah. that that is what happens to you then like you know when anakin goes crazy yeah, his, yeah. his eyes go yellow if you were to be that connected to the dark yeah. side of the force your skin would decay and gray but he just got burned by his own electricity that he produces that's like a snake dying from its own venom that's uh, ridiculous yeah. also you i don't care what people say the lines power unlimited <laughs> power like that screenwriter should be taken out the back and shot. Like, <laughs> I, do like, I do like the meme where he addresses the, uh, the, 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 the demo democracy. <laughs> and he's like, the attempt on my life has left me scarred. 
And that great Ian McDermott voice, but I love it. It's like when older brother accidentally plays too rough with the little brother yeah. and it complains to the parents. <laughs> anyway, yeah, it's like the dark. I, you know what? I, I'm, I now think Hayden Christensen is not a bad actor. He had the worst dialogue. Worst dialogue. With. Worst environment thing. Yeah, I agree. Yeah. There's a really good Hayden You Christensen. will try. Yeah. <laughs> You underestimate my power. Didn't because even Ewan McGregor makes it work. He's like, don't try it. Also, didn't Ewan McGregor say that Attack of the Clones is the like the entirety of that film is done in ADR or the yeah. dialogue because the air conditioning unit that they had to keep the green screen cool. machine cool, you couldn't hear any of the dialogue. I was a shattered glass is a good Hayden Christensen non non Star, Star Wars, Wars film. film. Yeah, go, check it out. I'm watching Ahsoka currently, but yeah, I'll have thoughts. Um, also, thank you to George for mentioning Only Murders in the Building. Definition oh, yeah. of a great easy watch. And I can definitely say I've missed Steve Martin in my life mm. since Pink Panther and Pink Panther 2. Is there going to be a Bear Season 2 review coming anytime soon? Interested to know how it compares in your opinion to the first season, as well as your thoughts on the Christmas episode. I think it gets a lot of things right with an ensemble cast that Ted Lasso kind of fumbled in in its last season. I know someone recommended Ahsoka last week. I have to also jump on that and say it's been worth the watch now. Uh, worth the watch now the series is finished just in case either of you needed the push to watch it it looks like it will tie into the bigger Mandoverse which while I'm subsequently not a huge fan of the connecting universe trope I've enjoyed so far minus Boba Fett there will be a better season 2 review coming more like most likely from just me because James you're far behind I'm far behind um, I will be doing it at some point it'll probably be in a bonus episode bear with me and on Only Murders in the Building yeah I mean I only mentioned that fleetingly but like mm. yeah that's like a really cosy easy watch very simple. It, like, it actually fits in like a perfect in the Venn diagram of all content that's happening at the moment. There's like a little, it's like a little gap mm. where only murders just slots in. And you go, oh, I didn't realize I needed that gap being filled in. Yeah. And I need a sort of easy to watch, breezy, smart enough to keep you going, but not overly demanding viewing. On Star Wars, I'm. I think I'm on the verge of a Star Wars catch up binge completionist run, and I think what I'm going to do is finish a bunch of Star Wars stuff that I've left out, go back to some Star Wars stuff mm -hmm. I think I've missed, mm -hmm. and then I might do a bonus where I basically address Congress and talk about the state of Star Wars as it is, and where I'm right. at and what I've missed. Stay of the nation. Stay, yeah, whole just sort of thing. Mm. Stand by. Stand give me, by. Give me a few weeks. Give me a few weeks. Got some okay. stuff. Wow, yeah. Check out some episodes of Rebels and stuff, so just give me... Give me some time. Uh, thank you both for making my Wednesdays more interesting. Cameron sent from my high-tech gadget phone from the live-action Thunderbirds, our Go movie from oh, 2004. Wow. Do you remember that with yeah, Bill Paxton? And Ben Kingsley. Yes. Yeah. God, I bet that doesn't age well. God, I remember that. It'd be a good castless countdown because you'd be like, you what? Yeah, Thunderbirds. <laughs> yeah. Like Americanized as well. God, yeah. Well, no, it wasn't an American show, it wasn't was, it? It was, wasn't it? Yeah. I thought it was just being in Britain, though. I thought it was a British show. Maybe it was. It feels very by, British, yeah. doesn't it? Yeah. The what, what is it about it that makes it feel British? It's not British. I think it's kind of the old-fashioned. It's the American high school. Maybe it's Lady Penelope, isn't that? She's like kind of anyway. the American high school. No, no, the American high school. That's not the in the original Thunderbirds, is it? The no, no, no. But like that, that was. A big oh, thing. that one was. He's there. just a kid, but his family. Are the Thunderbirds. And they live on Tracy Island. <laughs> yeah. Thunderbirds are go this summer. Thunderbird to you. one. Thunderbird two. Yeah, I never really. No. Anyway, that was your emails. Thanks for writing in. James, it's time we play some games on the show. We're going to end the show with two rounds of an old favourite. An old favourite of the show, and that is Castless Countdown. Mm -hmm. James, you know, the, you know the drill, which is I read out the castest of a movie and as I approach the end of the cast list. The, well, the, <laughs> Do you know how to play the game? <laughs> Where am I? Let me start again. 
James, the game we're going to play is cast list countdown. I have two rounds for you. You know the rules. I'm going to read out a cast list for you. You have to guess the movie before I reach the end of the cast list. Begin- Strike two. Oh my God. No, just kidding. <laughs> okay. I've got two for you. James, are you ready for your first round of cast list countdown? Yes. Guess the movie based on its cast in three, two, one. Christopher Walken. Click. Alison Janney. Zach Efron. Michelle Pfeiffer. Stardust. James Marsden. Queen Latifah. Brittany Snow. That is her um, hairspray. Um, yes, absolutely. And the next ones were going to be Amanda Bynes. Yes. John Travolta. And any guesses for the name of the actress who plays the main Nikki part? Nikki Blomsky or yeah, something Blomsky, like that. Absolutely yeah, right. Blomsky, absolutely right. Yeah, correct. Yes. That was Hairspray from 2007. Nice. A nice ensemble cast. There. I really thought I'd have seen Nikki Blomsky in something else after that, but I never did. Mm. <laughs> I don't know why it's true to say that. But I thought that was great. I thought James Marsden was really good yes. in that film. Yeah. Zach, um, no, who does Alison Janney play? Oh, she plays the mother of Amanda Bynes in that I film. believe so, yes. yes. Yeah. Amanda Bynes, man. She was so good. She's the man, despite slightly problematic plot from nowadays. She's so good in it. Oh, yeah, that's a hoot. It's a real it's hoot. It's really good. I remember the seeing that in the cinema. She's fantastic. So good. She, uh, she um, could have gone... Big Fat Liar with Freddie Muniz. <laughs> yeah. Frankie Muniz. Giovanni, Freddie Muniz? Yeah. Frankie yeah. Muniz? Frankie Muniz. Is it Freddie? Yeah. Freddie or Frankie? Frankie Muniz, yeah. Muniz. And I think it's Muniz. I think he's got, got the... Oh, I don't know. No, to take me out. <laughs> My favourite line, which is in the trailer, is Paul Giamatti's all blue. Yeah. And he needs to get picked up in a blue car. And the guy's like... <laughs> I knew I was picking up... <laughs> he's like, I knew I was picking up a big blue man. <laughs> Is it, is it offensive? No, is it's like, not. I'm just finding it really funny. He's like, I knew I was picking up a big blue car. I didn't know I was also picking up a big blue man. And he's just... It's not that funny. It's not that funny. Anyway. Okay. Would you like to have your next round of cast this yeah, countdown? Calm down. Okay. <laughs> okay. Guess the movie based on its cast in three, two, one. Dominic West. Oh, it could be anything. Lucy Liu. John C. Riley. Oh, okay. Ty Diggs. Christine Baranski. Queen Latifah. Again. Richard Gere. Two more. These will give it for you. Renee Zellweger. Oh, Chicago. Yes, and Catherine yes. Zeta-Jones. Oh, I could have got that. So I mentioned that one because you have people that you completely forget are in it. Yes, so you've got Dominic, Dominic West, West, Lucy Liu, and Tidings and Christy Bransky. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. yeah, right at the beginning. He is Amos. No, Amos is John C. Riley. Yeah, he's Cellophane. Is. Cellophane, Mr. Cellophane. There you no go. Good thirty round. You know we could have violated her. You know what I mean? Violated. This is um. This game is 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 only so good when you know the answer. <laughs> it's better when like I'm seeing and you really don't know. But uh, yeah. But there you go. Two musicals. That was great. Chicago's great. Renee Zilla, great. Yeah. Nah. Yeah. It's, it is. Captain Zeta Jones. Velma Kelly. You kidding me? What does that mean? Just like what do you mean, what do you mean by that, James? What do you, what do you mean, mean by that? No, like she's great. Yeah. It's like a New Yorkism. You're kidding me? She blows it out of the park. And you, you're from North London. Yes. Here I <laughs> Come am. Come back down to earth. Richard Gere, fantastic. Richard you got, got $5,000? You got $5,000? Boom. Boom. Oh, yes. Boom, boom, oh, boom, 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 yes. Oh, yes. They both Very good boom, stuff. Yes. That was they a two both. musical entry finishing way of ending the round of Castless Countdown. And now the musical number. 
Thank you very much for listening to this episode of Pop Kitchen. We really do appreciate you spending your time with us. I would ask one thing of you guys listening or watching to us. I know many of you who listen are not currently following us on Spotify or subscribed to us on YouTube. If you could do us both a huge favor that really helps the show, go and click that link. It really does help us if you do that. But uh, yes, don't forget we post new episodes of this show every single Wednesday. Do what the man says. He, uh, he has quite a temper. Uh, <laughs> you can continue to please follow us and uh, subscribe to us on Instagram and TikTok as well. Like our posts, comment saying, ha ha, he he, what a, what a great time. Yeah, Send it to a friend to be like, what a, what a great time I've had watching this clip. You should watch this too, friend. Yeah, I guess we're getting sad next week. Send us the saddest film moments oh, ever. Yeah. yeah, absolutely. Join Bring us tissues. next week for more films from the mm. London Film Festival, including Bradley Cooper's new movie, Maestro, about Leonard Bernstein. See you then.